Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. C2 Church offers a 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. service each week, including special services designed just for kids from infants to fifth grade. In this podcast, you are going to hear lead pastor Jeremy Reisner as he continues his series entitled The Story. Be sure and listen afterwards to find out how you can respond to this message. And that's the story we continue today, is to follow through the scriptures, finding the true and better. The Old Testament full of descriptions of what the true and better king would look like, and that's where we find ourselves today following the story. We've gone through the flood and the, the fall and the flood at the beginning. We read about the people of Israel in captivity in Egypt and their freedom and the exodus. We've studied their wandering through the desert, their taking of the promised land, the giving of the law and the inability and unwillingness of these people to follow God's instructions, even just the simple one, have no other gods. And last week we studied the judges, looking at how God enabled men and women to come and rescue his people who had forsaken him. And now we look at the establishment of the kingdom of Israel in First and Second Samuel and on through First and Second Kings, which will then take us into the exile. And so we follow the story. First Samuel chapter eight, if you have your scripture with you today, starting in verse four, First Samuel chapter eight. Prior to this, Eli the priest has led the people. We're coming out of the time of the judges, and Eli, though himself may have been a righteous man, a man, his sons were not. In the beginning of the book of First Samuel, there's a story of Hannah, a woman barren. It seemed cursed. She would not have a child, and Eli prays for her. There's a blessing. There's a miracle, and Hannah has a son. His name is Samuel, and she dedicates him, consecrates him to the Lord. And Samuel is raised in the church. How many of you ever church kids? He said, I was raised in the church. Well, Samuel was actually raised in the church. (laughs) He grew up there. He lived there. He slept there. He ate there. Samuel is where we start our story today. And Samuel, in chapter 8, comes to a crossroads of sorts. Verse 4 of chapter 8, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all the people and what they're saying to you. It is not you They have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Lord, speak to us through your word today. Quicken our minds to hear your voice and enlighten our hearts to follow. 
Amen. So you want to know the secret. He spoke these words both quietly and he spoke them rhetorically on that rooftop alone with that king-to-be. It was this very same rooftop that he himself had had it out with God one long night, not too many months ago. It was here that he had wrestled with God as his ancestor Jacob had. He was on this very rooftop. He, too, would have an experience that would break him. You see, he had sought an answer, but he wasn't prepared for the word of the Lord. And he had learned as a young boy to recognize that voice, that word. It was in the dark of night when he heard his voice, Samuel. Samuel ran to Eli, his mentor, his master, his priest. Yes, Eli. Samuel, go back to bed. I did not call you. But again, Samuel in his bed alone in that darkness heard the voice. Samuel, running back to Eli. Yes, Master, what is it you called? No, Samuel, I did not call you. Go back to bed. You think if you heard a voice in the night, it might just freak you out a little bit. Samuel, on the long journey back to his sleeping spot, close to the altar of the Lord, lays himself down and again hears the voice. Samuel. The words Eli had spoken to him moments before were simply respond. Say to that voice, speak for your servant is listening. And so Samuel at that moment said those very words. With a quiver in his voice, he simply said, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. It was this voice again that he sought For he had learned that an answer was not enough. In fact, Samuel had learned that often the answers of the Lord were much different than his own thoughts, his own treasonous ways that laid buried in his heart. And so it was again, the Lord God said to him, the voice spoke to him, if it's a human king that the people want, Listen to them. It's not you they have rejected, but me. But remind them, warn them, kings of your own making will always fail you. It's not you, it's me. It sounds like the Lord's breaking up with his people. It's not you, it's me. But he spoke these words to Samuel As Samuel, brokenhearted, feeling rejected by his own people, the Lord says, Samuel, it's not you. It's me they're rejecting. They're rejecting me as their king. So if it's a human king they want, then it's a human king we will give them. God was not breaking up with his people. Far from it. He would keep his covenant, even though the people had failed time and time again to keep their covenant with him. And the Lord in his justice and in his mercy gave them over to what they wanted. You see, God had tried to govern his people. If, you'd follow, if you follow with us through the story, if you read Genesis through to the book of Judges, you'll see that God had tried to govern his people. 
a people he had chosen for himself and for his purposes and had revealed himself through his own revelation, through the law and through the judges. And through this he had maintained sole custody of the title, king. Yet the people had failed to follow. So he would give them over to what they wanted. So standing on that rooftop again with this king that he would appoint and even anoint. A man by who all appearances was fit for the job. And it was in this short moment away from the rest of the family and the crowd that he would divulge the secret. As a prophet and priest, he would share this wisdom that everyone who wished to serve in the Lord's service needed. Truth is, every leader, every priest, every prophet, every judge had known this secret. Tragedy is, few followed it. The annals of Israel's history were filled with failures and would continue to be filled with men who failed and at that miserably. Yet, like gems hidden in the dirt, there would be a few who would follow in this advice. They would be men and women of greatness. Actually, they would be men and women of brokenness. For that was the secret. So on this deserted deck, the man who felt rejected by his own people shared the secret. And now he would prepare himself to anoint the successor, a king, the first of human kings to rule over Israel. And if this king got it right, it would mean great things for the king himself and for the kingdom. But he wouldn't. None would. Not one man could ever. Not until Messiah came as the true king. You see, Samuel also knew it was in the hearts of men. All men. All human beings. What lays buried in our hearts, you ask? Treason. Simply put, treason against God. He had seen it as a judge over the people of Israel. He had seen it as a father. And the truth be told, he saw it deep in his own heart. And Samuel would see it in Saul, this first human king of Israel. Sure, Saul would have his moments. He would even have some success. He would lead in some very great ways. But this only fueled the unbroken will of Saul. Even the good he tried to do was tainted. It was tainted. And it betrayed what was truly in his heart. And rebellion in the heart, if not broken, will lead you to the worst of ends. To believe that you really are king. So in that little upstart, went up against that great giant, the Philistine champion, and won... Saul knew it at that moment. Treason took a greater hold of his heart. That little upstart, that young boy, led the army to one of its greatest victories. This boy then had been celebrated more by the people than he, Saul, the king was. 
And Saul knew as they entered that city. That day in his heart, you know what he said to himself? That boy must die. For he might take my place as king. But Saul knew some things, or didn't know some things rather, about this young boy named David. He didn't know what David knew. David knew about authority. For he had served as the youngest brother of many. He had served his dad faithfully. And he had served his brothers. And he too would serve this king. David also was used to victory. Before he ever killed a giant on the battlefield, as a shepherd, he'd killed a bear and a lion by his own hand. David already knew victory. And he knew where victory came from. And David knew something else that Saul did not. David knew who the true king was. He had spent many lonely nights under the stars with his sheep, talking to the king of those very stars, the very creator of them. He knew who the true king and ruler was. The other thing that Saul did not know about David, David was broken. And it was on this very same rooftop once again that Samuel would find himself having a conversation with this human king of Israel. For God had told him, and as he stood on this rooftop deck overlooking this city, his ears confirmed what God had already told him, that there was treason in the heart of the king, and he heard the confirmation. And it simply sounded like this. Bah, bah, That's a pretty good impression, don't you think? With those sounds, it was confirmed that Saul had rejected God as his king. And so, God had rejected Saul as his king. Saul had disobeyed. Saul refused to walk according to the instructions of the Lord. And it's on this rooftop deck with the sound of the sheep and the cattle It confirmed that Saul had failed to obey the Lord's instructions to destroy the enemy. And yet it revealed something else, that Saul had failed to destroy completely the enemy within his own heart. Because Saul was determined to be his own king. Saul has what we have called a believing unbelief system. He believed that God existed, but did not believe God so much to trust him. And to obey him. I can do it on my own, in my own way. I can get what I want and do what God wants. But Samuel knew what was true. You can't do both. So Samuel would anoint another king. Samuel would anoint another king before his death. He would see another king anointed. Saul had been rejected by the Lord. And that young champion who had served Saul all these years, even though Saul had tried to kill him, this is the one who'd be anointed king. And this king was broken for sure. You see, years of serving 
a crazy man, a tyrant like Saul, has that effect on people. It tends to break you. And Samuel would utter two simple words as he departed from David that day of anointing him. He would simply utter the words as he faded away. He would say to David, be broken. Be broken. That was the secret. You see, David unlike Saul, did not look like a king. But neither did he run and hide when it was time to be anointed king, as Saul had. The youngest of all his brothers, he was chosen and anointed in a field, and he would be mentored into his new position by a madman. Have you been there? The dependence on God he learned as a lowly shepherd, this would come in handy. It would serve him well as he bowed to a jealous king. It was in those years in what we would call the school of brokenness, first as a shepherd, then as the king's servant, that led David to discover the secret to leading well as king. And it was on another rooftop. This one on the castle of the king. It was this rooftop that he would be reminded of those words as another prophet approached. He would be reminded that day. You see, Samuel had already passed away and Nathan would be the voice of the Lord to a king who had committed treason. And on that lonely ledge overlooking the city, Nathan would call David to account. Nathan spoke to David's hidden sin, not so much hidden from God as it was everyone else. The Lord had revealed that not only had David committed adultery, but that David had had the woman's husband murdered. He had committed treason. With his sin revealed, David had a choice. Brokenness or pride. You can't have it both ways. Not in God's kingdom. And he remembered what Samuel had said all those years ago, and he remembered what Saul had taught him. A king the Lord did not want or need. A a broken man is what God wanted and needed to lead his people. So in brokenness, David repents. And again, that's the secret. Brokenness through repentance. That's the secret to ruling your own life. Brokenness through repentance and suffering. You see, the life of David is full of suffering. And the thing about Saul is Saul refused to suffer. Saul even ran from suffering. He would not be broken. It's how he knew the words of Samuel to be true and the the life of Saul to confirm it. And so now as everyone who wants to be broken before the Lord will, David sought the Lord's will, not his power. And he would suffer. You see, we see two very different things in these two kings at the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel and then throughout the life of David through 2 Samuel. And these two lives really describe two paths that all kings, really all people, can take, even you and me, the path of brokenness or the path of pride. I like what David 
writes in Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. He simply says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. He's speaking to directly of Saul's sin of disobedience. But in verse 17, he says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. There's a promise in that. And here are the two paths between brokenness and pride we see in the two lives of two kings. Saul was appointed and then anointed. David was anointed and then appointed. In your life, do you seek the anointing first before you appoint yourself to a position, even as your own king? Saul rejected the word of the Lord, and so he was rejected by the Lord. And yet David, David lived by the word of the Lord, so he was accepted by the Lord. Read through the Psalms. They describe this relationship that this young shepherd boy had with his king. Your word, O oh Lord, it's a lamp. It's a lamp to my feet. It's a light into my, my path. I hide, it, I hide those words in my heart so that I might not sin against you. That is a broken spirit. To recognize the need for brokenness. You see, Saul had the appearance, the appearance but not the heart. And Scripture tells us that David didn't have the appearance, but he had the heart. And each one of us has to choose his own path, her own path. Saul ruled his kingdom, but David ruled God's kingdom. You see the difference? And what about you? What about me? Whose kingdom do we rule? See, Saul sacrificed, David obeyed. When you read through the stories, you see that Saul was often sorry, but David was repentant. Saul was the people's king. David was the Lord's king. David feared God. Saul feared people. I find myself in conflict with those two sometimes. That I fear people more than I fear God. And when you feel, fear people more than you fear God, it often leads you down the path of pride. And Saul's response to the fear of people led him to that same response when he saw Goliath, the Philistine champion. He reacted in fear. I cannot do it. I cannot face this champion. He knew who that Philistine giant was calling out when he said, bring out your champion. He was calling for the king. He was calling for Saul himself. Scripture tells us that Saul was head and shoulders taller among all of the men of Israel. So we could conjecture that he was probably six, seven foot tall. A giant at nine or ten feet would have been a good fight to see, UFC style. David only feared the Lord, so he had no need to fear a giant. And when that young boy picked up his five stones to run after this giant, he simply said, I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord. You're opposing the army of God. It's interesting. Saul had this believing unbelief system. 
He believed God as much as that he existed, but he didn't trust him to take down a giant. This was Saul's stronghold. If you remember, we talked about that last week. Anything that sets itself up against God is a stronghold, and Saul let Goliath reign for 40 days. It only took David about 40 minutes to figure out that big old giant across the way needed to come down. That stronghold needed to be killed. What does David do? King, I got this. Don't worry about it. Why did David believe he got that? Because he knew who the true king was. He knew who would fight the battle for him. And in the end, Saul's sin made him insane. David's sin made him broken. And you see, through it all, Saul ruled in rebellion while David ruled in repentance. And that, my friend, is the key to ruling your life, your kingdom. Because it was another king in the line of David years later that would also know brokenness. He would also know suffering. Who, like Samuel, would be rejected by his people? He, the Messiah king, would be rejected by a very people who looked for a Messiah king. This is Jesus. You see, the people, even a thousand years later, were still looking for a king like Saul, someone who appeared like a king. Someone who was strong and powerful and seemed to have it all together. And this is not what they saw in Jesus. They saw in Jesus what they saw in King David. Brokenness. And it was through suffering that Jesus brought about the fullness of the kingdom of God, the full will of the Father. From the beginning of creation throughout all of time, the primary purpose of God is to redeem for himself a people that would be his very own. And through Jesus, we would have a king, that true and better king that we all long for, found in the person of Jesus Christ. For he alone has both the power and the authority over sin and death to rule not just the world of humans, but the human heart. And to those who would be sanctified, that's such a church word, right? Sanctified. Sanctified is like, you know when you order pizza as college students or maybe in high school, maybe even in your own house, having to fight with your brothers and sisters, And you knew that everybody wanted one particular pizza. And you wanted not just one slice, but you wanted two, right? How would you go about making sure that you would get your two slices? Oh, you know how you do it. As soon as that box lid is lifted, you are licking your fingers and placing them on the two slices that were now yours. And what did you say? Mine. When you're sanctified, it's like the Lord licked his fingers and went, Mine. Right? You get what I'm saying? You feeling me now? That's the whole plan and purpose of what God is doing throughout the course of the Old Testament into the New. He wants a people for his own, he wants a people that he can go, Mine. 
And to those who will be chosen, to those who will believe and accept and take the licked fingers of the Lord upon themselves, he has sanctified you through the blood of Jesus Christ. You're his. And David, the king, was God's. In fact, the Bible says of David that he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man full of sin, full uh, of failure, and yet David is called a man after God's own heart because he let the word of the Lord sanctify him. He let the Lord say, David, you're mine. And David would follow after God. So I guess the question for us this morning is, will we accept God as king? Will we let him sanctify us? I, 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 like the people of Israel, will say, God is my God, but at times, he's not my king. And this is what the people of Israel have done. They've rejected God as king. Oh, sure, he, he's out there. Yeah, he, he, he's God still, but he's not king. In the Christian world, we use the, the phrase, will you take Jesus as Savior and Lord? Most of us have no problem with Jesus being our Savior, because if I ask for a show of hands of how many of you in this room wanted to go to hell, probably a, f- a few uh, sarcastic young people would raise their hand. But other than that, most of us would be like, no way. We love the thought of Jesus as Savior, as long as he doesn't interfere with my life. Uh, and that's where we get to the sticking point, because Jesus doesn't want to be Savior alone. He wants to also be Lord. But we like the Saul in us, we don't mind being fans of Jesus. Just being his follower sometimes interrupts my story that I'm writing for my life. But Jesus wants to be Savior and Lord. That word Lord, Master, means he rules. He reigns. He's the despot of your life, a despot full of righteousness who has not only the power but the full authority to rule over the sin that you thus far have not been able to rule over in the messiness of your own life. Can you let God be king, king of your business, king of your marriage, king of your finances or your family, of your future and of your desires? I think of what C.S. Lewis writes when he talks about desires. He, he writes it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So how do we redirect and redeem our desires? Brokenness. Through repentance. Repentance acknowledges my tendency to go my own way, to do my own thing, and then try to save myself. Right? David wrote, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs and thirsts for you, my God. That's the kind of desires I want in my life. What about you? 
four things as we close today. How, actually, I'll, I'll phrase it this way. Characteristics of a deeply repentant person. Pastor Eric Mason shares these thoughts with, with us, and I'll, I'll share them quickly with you today. Number one, characteristic of a deeply repentant person, they throw themselves on the character of God. What does that mean? It means that I, I understand, even as a Christian, that there's, there's no bank of forgiveness by doing good deeds. Like somehow I, I build up enough of a deposit that my sin, withdrawn against it, will, will leave me still in the positive. The problem is, all of our sin, it bankrupts us. So you can't deposit into some bank of forgiveness. Augustine wrote that life is a constant walk of repentance. I daily walk in this acknowledgement that I am desperate, desperately in need of God. And it moves beyond this thought that I am experiencing what I am based on what I deserve. Rather, when we throw ourselves on the mercy of God, we're saying, God, give me what I do not deserve. Matthew chapter 9 has a story of two blind beggars who throw themselves at Jesus and they say, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus does. And he heals them. Do you throw yourself on the mercy of God? This is the character of God that we throw ourselves on. We ask for mercy because of his love, which is then given to us because of his commitment and his covenant and his character. It's not about you. It's about him. He grants mercy because of who he is, not because of who you are. And that leads us to number two. Fully own the extent of your own sin. David, when faced with the extent of his sin, called to account by the prophet Nathan of his adultery, of his murderous acts, has a choice, and we see it in Psalm 51 when he throws himself not only on the mercy of God, but then he fully owns the extent of his sin. And he simply says, against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. I think we as Christians sometimes are really good at confession, but very poor in repentance. This idea of turning around and walking the other direction away from our sin. We tend to blame shift. Well, Lord, if, uh, if that person hadn't have done that, and if I wasn't in this situation, if you would have just didn't th- done this, God, I have to own the extent of my sin. Saul did not own his sin. Number three, truly repentant means that we long for real transformation. We let God clean up the mess we want to hide or clean up ourselves. I don't know about you, but how many of you know you just can't clean up well enough? You can't come to God with your act together. It's impossible. You ever had that feeling, well, I'll I'll come back to God when I get my act together. (laughs) You can't. (laughs) You'll never clean yourself up or get your act together enough. But because of the blood of Christ, God can come in and clean up your mess. I know this. When we've hired a cleaning company to come into our house, my wife will clean the house first. What's the point? 
I love you, honey. (laughs) But isn't that what we do with God? God, you can come in, and then we do our best. And then when he comes in, he says, hey, have at it. Just don't go in that room. (laughs) Don't open that closet. And don't look under the sink. It's true. You ever hire an exterminator? I have. We had roaches in a house we bought one time. Fun. Don't you love the smell of roaches? (laughs) Some of you have had personal experience with that, apparently. When you invite the exterminator in, you let him go everywhere, every time, and touch everything because you want to get rid of whatever's infested your house. But with Christ, we don't let him, do we? We have trouble with that. The last thing you need to do in this regard then is partner with God. Acknowledge that he's the king. Acknowledge that you have sin and that it might lead you to suffering. David suffered. Jesus suffered. But understand that God and God alone can restore. God and God alone is king. So I guess the question for you today is, Who is king? And will you choose the path of pride or brokenness? And I find in myself that every day I'm faced with those two choices. Because to take the stories of the Old Testament, to moralize them and say, be like David or be like Saul, is to simplify the great story of God's redemptive purpose through all of history. And the fact of the matter is, within my heart, Saul and David both reside. And I need to choose every day who I will be. Will I follow Jesus? Church, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed in this eternal moment, some to make a decision, will you follow Jesus? We're not asking for fans. I don't care if you attend church. I think it's good for you. I'm a big fan of church. But what it comes down to is, are you a follower of Christ? And if you've never made that commitment, you never made Jesus the king of your life, both Savior and Lord, then this is your moment. With simple raise of your hand, would you agree with me and say, Pastor Jeremy, that's me. I've never made Jesus king of my life, and today's the day. I want to pray with you. We won't point you out, but we're going to simply say a prayer with you. Would you lift it high? And then you can put it right back down. Anybody else? This is your moment. This is your day. Then church, let's pray this prayer with those who've raised their hand and maybe even those who haven't. And I find that this is the very prayer, the very prayer that started my journey with Christ is the very prayer I probably need to pray every day to remind myself that Jesus is Savior and Lord. So would you pray with me out loud? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus. I invite Jesus into my life. Jesus, I make you king. Forgive me of my sin. Would you clean up my mess? Help me to live for you. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. In the name of Jesus, I ask. 
Amen. The church, my prayer for you this week is that you would walk as a follower of Christ, that you would make him king this week. And as you continue your reading of the story throughout Scripture, you would discover that Jesus is the true and better of all that we've ever asked or ever needed. We pray that you have a great week. Hey, we are so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information about a deeper relationship with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Simply email nextsteps at c2church.com. Also, be sure to visit our website at www.c2church.com to find out more information about C2 Church and ways you can connect with other people. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter. Did you know that C2 Church has a great life groups ministry to help you connect with a small group of other people? To find out more, email lifegroups at c2church.com or visit our website at www.c2church.com backslash lifegroups.